The Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Czar. Hello. How's it going, Chet? It's going pretty good. How are you doing? I think we're both doing pretty good. We are? That's pretty yeah. presumptuous. Well, no, because we've been talking before we started recording. <laughs> well, we weren't even, The funny thing is that we weren't even talking about what we're about to record as usual. <laughs> I know. No talking plan. About, uh, something else entirely. Yeah, well, we decided to uh, do this podcast on the creative process and talk about our own creative processes. And, um, you know, the creative process is what it's all about, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why I do it. It's uh, I've always been, since I was a little kid, I need to be making something or building a model or just doing something with my hands and creating something to me that is the ultimate high really i mean it's the most fun thing i can do alone i guess do you feel like the the process itself is more rewarding than the outcome oh absolutely yeah for sure it's all about the process for me the painting is almost like a secondary artifact from the creative process. I mean, it's all about the painting for me. That's why I don't mind selling them for the most part, because once one's done, I just want to do another one because it's all about the process for me. How do you feel? No, that's cool. I I like the way you put it, that it's like a, you know, a create an artifact of the creative process. That's a great, uh, it's a great quote of yours about your paintings. Yeah. I'll have to put that on Facebook. Yeah, that'd be a good post. <laughs> Just let me quote you. I'll use it for my quote tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I hate when other people quote me, though. It gives me the willies. <laughs> gives me the creeping willies. <laughs> oh, hey, I want to I wanna say something real fast because, you know, I have to edit these, which is to say that I'm mastering the audio. So I'm bringing the levels down so that it doesn't blow people's ears out. And in the process of that, I have to listen to myself talk quite a bit. So I just need to say this. Okay, so when I say you guys, I mean all you homo sapiens out there listening to this podcast. Right. I, I don't. There's no distinction for me, but I'm not going to change the way I talk because this is conversational and organic. So when I say you guys, I'm talking about all you out there, women, men, if there's a dog listening, what up? But you, you, just, just uh, I, I just feel like I need to say that because I don't want to disqual. I don't want anybody to feel like they're not a part of the thing and they're they're disqualified just because that's the way my semantics work. So I'm just providing that for for our listening audience so that it's yes. easy for them to just recognize that when I say you guys, I mean everybody. Yeah, this is not a men men only podcast. Nope. So, so, but yeah. with that said, we can get back to creative processes. <laughs> I just felt that I felt the urge. Feel better now. I do. We're getting some pretty good uh, responses on the podcast, which is great because it's really fun to do. I want to keep doing it. Yeah, it's been really encouraging to see the way that people are, I mean, really heartfelt, I guess. That's kind of why I enjoy it is like I don't really care as much about the large numbers unless I'm really thinking about the long-term reach and the goals that we have in mind for the Dark Art Society. But when I'm thinking about you know the kinds of engagement that I see that really means something to me is when someone really posts something that's heartfelt, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's a rating and a review on iTunes or on Stitcher or whether it's something that they're just posting on social media, you know, their comments about the way in which it touches them and affects them and you know causes them to reinvestigate their own experiences through a new filter and it's just fun. It's it's very gratifying. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Um, I'm. I'm excited that so many people are into the whole dark art society concept as well. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's been a long time coming and, and, uh, you know, you, you have these ideas and you're never quite sure if they're going to take off. I mean, I've had a lot of ideas that didn't take off. I've had a lot of, I've curated art shows and had bands and I've done a lot of projects that just didn't happen and you just got to keep, you know, moving ahead, eventually something catches on, you know, and this, I think the dark art society concept is catching on. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah. You know, and actually I I won't read the whole thing, but there's a, I was looking at some of these reviews on, on iTunes and uh, at the end, there's just the last sentence of one of these. It's from Deedle D 90. So if you're out there listening to Deedle D 90, you're a post an honest perspective, five-star rating. Thank you very much. This last line really meant a lot to me. It says, 
The podcast creates an opportunity to learn about dark art for those who are unfamiliar and a safe community for those who may not have any other resources to turn to. And I think that, again, that's, you know, that's it. That's what we're, we're trying to do. So to have somebody reciprocate like that is just really cool. Yeah. You know, living in LA and, and even having this little online community that we have centering around dark art is, uh, you kind of assume that just everybody kind of knows about it. And everyone's familiar with it, but they're not. You know, most people still look at the stuff and think you're some kind of devil worshiper or, or a weirdo or something. So, um, as it's you know, it's getting more accepted, but at the same token, you know, you, I take it for granted that most of the people I know are into it or at least understand it. So, um, you know, you, you, you got to think about other people in other parts of the country or the world, even. You know that don't have this sort of aren't part of the community yet or you know don't have any resources or anywhere to turn when it comes to that yeah yeah well and i think there's also there's these built-in limitations in the way in which you know we even look at ourselves and i thought that one of the things that was interesting when we were on transgression you know i the whole joke on me that i was like a legitimate job but you know i was and i was obviously talking about a wage slave job you Mm -hmm. know and so it's just funny because the way even sometimes the way that we look at ourselves and the way in which we're interfacing with work creativity our creative process and the way in which that translates to our professional life the way in which we earn money and things of that nature you know even built into our own semantics is this dialogue of looking down upon that or considering that somehow illegitimate, you know? And so it's funny that I said that because it just goes to show that even for those of us that are on the inside, those myths still profoundly affect the way in which we perceive them. Absolutely. Subconscious, you know, even on a, on a, on a deeper level. Um, yeah, well, pretty fascinating. Yeah, it's cool. So yeah, keep the keep the ratings and reviews and shares mo- more than anything. Spreading the word is is yeah. I think the the most important thing because we want this to reach as many people as possible. Well, and we're on just so everybody knows now. You know, not only are we, we on SoundCloud and you can also find us on iTunes, but we're also on Stitcher now. And we're also on PodBay, and last but not least, we're on YouTube. So we're about everywhere. <laughs> yeah, everywhere you can be as a podcast, almost. I just think that it's so cool that it's – I'll say one last thing about the dark art society concept and then we can move on to the creative process. But I think what's so cool about it is it's not this for-profit venture. You know, It's this thing that we just – all of us feel the need for it and it hasn't happened yet. So we're just kind of starting to get the ball rolling and hopefully it will be a way that all dark artists can benefit from it, you know. And um, I'm not saying it to toot my own horn. I'm just saying it to uh, because I, I, it's exciting to be part of something like that that's uh, sort of charitable because I'm just so used to everything having to earn money in my life because that's the reality. I have to keep the machine running. So I always have to think in terms of dollars and, you know, how much you know how much money is coming in and this and that so it's nice to be able to do something that is just purely um uh what's the word mike what's the word uh philanthropic yeah yeah or just yeah i guess philanthropic maybe i don't know maybe that was a dumb point anyway i don't think it's a dumb point i i think in fact that's the whole that's exactly what it is that we're trying to do with the dark art society i mean i think in the long term i'd like to see this nonprofit organization be able to afford us the resources to have mentors, for instance. Like what do you got, you know, like a 12-year-old kid who doesn't have artistic resources doing some dark stuff. You know, parents could get on the darkartsociety.com and set up a mentorship. So they've got this person who's Mm -hmm. legitimately earning money and doing their thing and they're into this dark stuff and they can help mentor this child and help them to utilize that creative urge in a way that's productive. You know, so there's a lot of potential benefits to it, again, and it's very charitable, I think, in its essence. So I, I don't think that's a, an aside that you brought that up. Okay. Good. Okay. Let's get on to the creative process. Creative processes. <laughs> creative process. <laughs> <laughs> Chet always wanted to be a radio disc jockey. No, no, I didn't. Um, so I don't know how, how you want to start talking about this we had a pretty good well, thing we kind of did and then, and then we just you know stepped away from it but that's kind of all our conversation i've been, lately i've been i mean i am always creating i always 
I have to say one thing about capitalism. Everybody's so down on capitalism. And me being a pretty liberal guy, I, I was always kind of down on capitalism. And there's definitely a lot of problems with cap. There's problems with unregulated cap, uh, capitalism for sure. But I have to say, I would not have, I would not create as much artwork if I didn't have to because I need to keep paying my bills. So there is this kind of unintended uh, side effect of having to hustle constantly. You know, I have no social life. I, you know, I, I work constantly, but it's work that I love. But I have to say that um, it really does force me to produce a lot of work. And lately I've been producing a ton. Like I'm talking like the last just few days where I've got to get ready for this uh, sculpting class I'm doing. So I got to do this sculpture, demo sculpture. And I forgot that I had a painting for a charity show that I had to do in a day and just constant, constant, like 12 hours a day, just cranking. And, um, it's, it's not, um, sometimes it's, it's not easy to pull that out of yourself, but you, get to a point i guess when you're earning your living from it that you have to make it happen when you're not feeling it you know and that's something that has just developed in me uh as my career's moved forward i've had to um learn how to just turn it on you know and for me, that is, it's like in order to do that, if I have to sit down and create a sculpture or a painting, it's, I have to not be thinking about anything else. So that's why, you know, I have to close my door. I have to go into my studio, close my door. And for me, it's like put a documentary on or put music on or whatever, and just know that for a certain block of time, I'm not going to be thinking about anything except creating something. Or whatever this thing is, you know. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. That, is well, it sounds like for it sounds like for what you're saying is is that a significant part of your creative process is actually contingent on pressure. Yeah, I don't think it's, but it's more like in spite of the pressure, in a way. You know, it's like the 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 reality of my life is that I have to keep creating to bring the money in because this is my primary source of income. So, um, I've. I guess learned how to make that work and, and I don't have the luxury of creating when I'm inspired. It's like I have to bring the inspiration, you know, which is yeah, not easy. But I, I think I guess being um, working in the film industry for so long and having that kind of uh, uh, creativity as your job sort of forces you to do it as well. So I was a bit, you know, already kind of indoctrinated into that lifestyle that's the great dane dotty the great dane here sorry if you'd hear barking we got the, we always have the dog showing up on the podcast <laughs> yeah well then you're also saying that you you're able to have you have a part of your creative process is is reliant on your safe haven which is that you have a place that's insular that you can go that's your place where there's not going to be distractions and where you can lose yourself in in your process right yeah definitely I also I think that's why I'm I'm a total night owl and I am always trying to fight that so that I can have a semi normal life and get up at a decent hour. But, you know, if I had my way, if I was single and I was an artist, I would be one of these guys who paints until about six in the morning and then sleeps until two or three. That's I just know it. But um, it doesn't it's not good for my health, really. It's not good for my attitude i kind of get in bad moods when i do that but i do when I, when the chips are down and i have to hit deadlines i do work late you know two or three in the morning and um but the thing about that is every, I, there are no distractions you know that's when i know no one's gonna bug me because everyone's asleep and um you know people every people in my house everyone's really understanding and cool so it's not like i'm getting bugged all the time but there's phone calls and there's texts and there's emails that need to be answered and in the middle of the night there's none of that stuff and i feel really you know alone and in solitude and and i really feel like i can i can get a groove going you know yeah get, getting a groove going is really a big part of it i mean you can you can work 
four hours and three of those hours are you dicking around and not getting it and then the last hour you get in the groove and then you've done up like four hours worth of work in an hour because you're just totally in the groove you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a hard thing to explain to someone who doesn't do that sort of thing it's it's a weird process you know it's not like sitting down and filling out a form or something you know what i mean I yeah I mean. yeah no, I do know what you mean. And and for me, I mean, I I did graveyard for years and years. I worked, a, you know, a day job or not a day job, obviously a night job, but like a wage slave job, you know, for the man, as it were, for on graveyard for 10 years. I mean, I worked for more, more years than that doing what I did. But for 10 years solid, I was on graveyard. And that was coming out of college where in college I did the same thing you did. I was up until all hours of the night until the sun would come up. Working, what were your hours? Working. What were your hours on your graveyard shift? Uh, I had two different shifts, midnight till 8 a.m., wow. and then there was uh, 9 to 6, 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. So, so those low, were the two key shifts. How, how late? I'm fascinated by graveyard shift people. <laughs> Cause how, About 10 years, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So what was your regular sleeping hours? So and, – and actually the best was when we got on the uh, 410s with three days off because that's the best for graveyard. Oh, so right. like – because the 410s, it's like you know you'd get on – I can't even – what is it now? You'd get on at, at uh, 9 p.m. and then you'd work till 8 a.m. Is that how it is? I can't remember exactly or 9 to 6. Anyway, mm-hmm. you know, 10 hours overnight. But basically what I would do is I'd get up in the evening time, you know, so I'd get up like depending upon when I was going to work. If I worked at midnight, I'd get up at like 8 o'clock at night, you know, and then I'd get ready. I'd go to work. I'd work, you know, from midnight until 8 o'clock in the morning. I'd get off. I'd come home. I'd make dinner. I'd have drinks, you know. I'd watch watch a movie or whatever and then crash out and then sleep until evening, you know, sleep through the day and blackout curtains, you know. And grocery shopping at night, your ten days years. off. Ten years. Yeah, Does your, that your days, your days off, you? you'd have to have like grocery shopping places that were open 24. It was so awesome grocery shopping at, at like <laughs> yeah. 3 in the morning. That's the other cool thing. Yeah. Driving at night, yeah, nobody. That's, that's the other cool thing about being a night person is, that, you know, when you go to – things aren't open is the problem. A lot of things aren't open. But if you have to drive somewhere, it's just like a breeze, especially in L.A. It's like – but the thing that the thing that sucks on graveyard is like okay so let's say on your Friday night right you get off at eight in the morning and you're gonna party right so let's say you like party that that night slash morning you don't go to bed till three in the afternoon well then you're gonna crash for like eight hours right yeah. so next thing you know it's like you know one o'clock in the morning when you wake up so you're like totally you know, pushed by like all these hours. And then really you have to go back to work the next night. So you really only have 24 hours that you even have off. You see what I'm saying? Right. right. And so with the, with the four tens, it was so much better because you'd have like a day where you could like chill and then a day where you could get stuff done. And then a day where you, you know, were getting ready to get back to sleep, you know, to go back to work. Cause on the weekend you kind of push it so you could do daytime stuff because you needed to be up for daytime hours to achieve official daytime duties, you know? So when you, when you did the grade, graveyard shift, were you were you doing creative things on the job, like in the middle of the night when it was all quiet? Oh, yeah. And... Yeah, yeah. So the only reason I even worked that job was to do creative stuff. So like I guess that is kind of part of my creative process because I went to college and I got this job my senior year where I was working in a cash cage at a casino, which is like you're sitting in a little closet with a cash drawer and you're waiting for people to come and cash out whatever, their chips or their card or their check or whatever. So you have all this downtime and they would allow us to bring our stuff in. So I'd sit there and write screenplays and write novels and draw and doodle and yeah. listen to music on headphones, do whatever I wanted. And so I was doing my homework, basically my art school homework at work, getting paid to do it. So when I graduated, I was like, this is a gig, man. I keep doing <laughs> doing this, <laughs> yeah. keep doing my work. I'm getting paid basically to do my work. I don't have to do anybody else's work. So I started stockpiling all this work. I mean, I used the, all that time to just do my work and get paid to do it basically. I remember in, uh, was it high school? Yeah, it was high school. It was 10th, 10th grade. I was always really bad at math. Uh, I, re- I can trace it back to the third grade when we were learning time. I think it was, I think it was third third grade maybe we were learning time times tables and i got behind on that i just i was just not as good as the other students you know and and so four stroker four stroker i got the four stroke mind which is something i'll cover in another (laughs) another podcast um uh but I remember falling behind there and i never was able to catch up you know because i'm not dumb i'm 
you know, relatively smart person. It's just I, I, I never I, I fell behind a little bit because I wasn't I guess I didn't get the uh, maybe more one on one attention I should have gotten because I really tried. I remember really trying to learn my times tables and I just could could not do it um, as well as the other students. But anyway, so all throughout school, I was always like a C, D guy. You know, I never got an F ever in school. But um, so C's and D's in math. And then <clears throat> around 10th grade, they put me in like a, a slow math class. And it was with, you know, all the fuck ups. It was just people that just didn't, you know, the stoners and the gangsters, just people that didn't give a shit at all. And um, I, it was so easy. And it was a double class. It was two hours. And I was like, this is I, so I would do, and, and it was for me, even for me, it was easy and I was, you know, not great at math. And so I would finish my, my math within the first, the whole two hours worth of stuff I would finish in the first 20 minutes. And then the rest of the time I would draw or I was working on this story. It was this, I, I, it's, I have it somewhere. It's, it was a post-apocalyptic kind of, <laughs> uh, sci-fi horror story and i would write it was so much fun I, it was hilarious because i looked forward every day to math class and then eventually i think i went through the whole year and my guidance counselor was like what why are you in the or was, i don't know if it's the teacher someone f- finally figured out that i shouldn't have been in that <laughs> class and they're like why are you in this class and then they put me in a normal one i was like shit you know and then i was back to my c's and d's in math yeah, but I used yeah, that's that. the same thing. Yeah, use use the time that's available to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was so cool. So it was like every day I got creative writing, you know, for an hour and a half. Well, the cool thing about being on graveyard too, and having a partner that's on graveyard, as I did at the time, was it was like you'd I would be doing creative stuff all week long, right? You know, I'd be working on like for instance, I, I was working on the whole package deal for a while. It's this novel of mine, and I'm tight. You know, I'd be writing it by hand. You know, so I'm writing a little bit, writing a little bit, writing a little bit between customers and things. And then on my weekend, if you were skewed from your partner, you'd have like a whole day off on your own at nighttime, and it was like, dude, that was the best. Like the whole night to yourself, you're gonna have right. the place to yourself. Nobody's going to bug you. It's going to be dark. So like all the energy is still. You can just pick from what you want to get. And then you have all this work that you've done all week. You know, like you said, working on a story or working on a screenplay or whatever. And then you have all this time alone then at night to really like start to formulate it, put it together and kind of do like a clearing house of what you've done throughout the week leading up to that. So Mm -hmm. it was awesome. I loved – I mean I – there are things I didn't like about Graveyard but there were things I did and I still do. If I had my druthers, I would definitely be up at night a lot more than I am these days. Yeah. Well, um, maybe we could go into our creative processes, uh, you know, how work is created. Um, for me, it's, it's, it's very intuitive. I was thinking about it. I did think about it a little bit. I told you earlier before we started this, that I hadn't really thought about the podcast, but, um, I was thinking that how nonverbal the, creative process is for me it's really there's there are no words involved i mean you're a writer so um as well as an artist so you know you're writing it's a whole different ball game but for me with painting or sculpting it's very much it's hard to express because there's not a a thought process that involves language or you know verbal language i guess so for me it's a matter of sitting down and it all starts with doodling and sketching without thinking about it. And then I, uh, you know, I'll sketch, sketch, and then I'll start to notice things I like. Okay. Well, I like this one. You know, there's five of five of them on a page. The first four I don't like. And the fifth one, there's something about it. And I look at it and try and figure out what I like about that. And then I'll draw it again and try to, uh, enhance the thing about it that I like, you know, bring that out more. And then that leads me to the next step and the next step. So it's almost like a, 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 like you're chasing this thing, you know, and you, and you, and you, yeah, and, yeah. and the way to get the thing in the first place is just start drawing or painting or whatever. And when you, you, you recognize the thing and then you start following the thing and then the thing will just get you enough information to get to the next stage of it. And you just keep going and keep going and keep going until you finally have a finished piece. You know? So for those for those of, of the audience out there that don't know your full creative process, you, you go from sketching and doodling 
to, you know, as you explained, doing a, a larger sketch that is pulling out and drawing out those qualities that you like. And then what's the next stage in the medium wise? Well, medium for me, when it comes to paintings, it will be sketches, you know, uh, and, and once it's developed from the sketch, then I'll do a, a small color study, which I do all the time now. I rarely do uh, just paint from from nothing, which I used and to do. And is that... Are the studies, as you said, drawing further out those qualities you like from the sketch? Yeah, yeah, because the studies are, are um, a, a, a point where the painting doesn't really matter. It's not your final piece. Uh, so you, you you don't have to worry, get hung up too much on technique. You're just trying to get something down there and also working out any bugs you have with the colors and you figure out a color scheme and you can further refine the composition and further revi- uh, refine the character. Like most of my stuff is character based, so I, I, I'm always looking at the character. Like if you see um, this one guy I'm working on now with the kind of skewed head, the cut off top of the head, and it's skewed to the side, and he's got a cigarette. It's you know that's gone through three or four different iterations, and it's all, and it's the same character, but they're all slightly different because I keep getting it closer to where I want it to be. So hopefully by the end of the final product, it's going to be the most like I want it to be, you know, and but you're but what's interesting is you're discovering what it is you want it to be while you're doing right. the process. Yeah, that's the the magic of it. It's so cool. It's it's because you cause really for me anyway. The way I do it, it's I don't know how you know. Once in a while, I'll see I'll have a flash in my mind, like I, I say. And I don't, did I say? Do we put that in the in the documentary where I, I had the flash of? black magic yeah yeah, yeah we, you, you told the black magic story in chet's are i like to paint monsters yes um nice plug there and uh <laughs> uh uh so once in, but once in a while i get a flash of a finished image it's pretty rare most of the time it is this process and i and i feel like uh consciously i'm not talented enough i guess you could say or smart enough like you know to to uh, to do it to create artwork through logic, if that makes any sense. Like it's it's not like, like think like think of a cool idea and then be like, okay, how would I put these different right. characteristics and elements together in order to, to express, say this thing? Yeah. Yeah, 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 to express this idea. Which I mean, I I I have done and I can do it, but it's not where my talent lies. My talent lies is in pulling something that some mysterious thing from my subconscious and bringing it out and expressing this deeper thing because i i feel like um my subconscious mind or wherever this is coming from is more uh is is i don't want to say more talented but more it's my, it's like my my subconscious my subconscious mind has better ideas than I do. That's the way I see it. I can't That's match. Putting it. I can't match the the level of creativity that my subconscious mind has. You know what I mean? Like I, I know, and I know other artists that are very uh, logically based to where they have the idea and then they figure out what's the best way to express it, and that's totally cool. And I used, you know, I tried to do that with with music when I was in bands, and it never came out right for me it's like i tried to do political kind of music and then i tried to do spiritual kind of music and it just it's because i was thinking overthinking it you know and the the best stuff for me comes out as the the process i described where it's you're you know you're following the, the thing that you're not sure what it is but you trust yourself and you trust the thing to know that it's going to be a a cool thing worthy of creating you know that's basically yeah i do i do know so um i don't know what what how how's, how does your creative process work i gotta let my dog out hold on go, go ahead for it. well it's in effect it's it's exactly like what you're saying i mean really I, you know i think about to myself like 
the different mediums. You know, filmmaking is a very different thing than writing, and writing is a very different thing than drawing, and drawing is a very different thing than sculpting. And while all of those things, I think, ultimately are different and they require different talents and different techniques and different resources, my process is also what I would describe as intuitive. You know, when I'm writing, like if I'm writing a, a, a book, you know, I'm not – when I write it first, first of all, I normally write by hand. I don't type. Hmm. And so I'm not even worried about whether it sounds good, whether it's well formulated, whether it makes sense, whether it's grammatical, any of that stuff. I don't care about any of that. I'm just – I have a – like you said, I have a feeling. There's this thing that I know is there and I'm basically in a lot of ways, like you said, I'm kind of chasing it where hmm. like – I'm just allowing this story almost to kind of be told to me through me, if that makes any sense. Right, right. You know? Now, and I have these miraculous weird things that happen periodically where I'll dream up an idea. And and that's actually pretty common. But it's not where my – I can't go so far as to say that that's where all of my creative process begins or lies, you know? But there are some examples of, you know, having a dream about a particular idea. And when I wake up from it, it's almost like – it's a seed and everything that that plant could be all exists within that little seed. And, but I, I have to grow it to know what kind of plant it's going to be, mm-hmm. but it's all there. It's like the whole blueprint, the fabric of it, everything is there. So I always have a feeling when I'm working on, again, for instance, writing and things like that, writing a story that there's already something there and it's kind of like archeology. span Like I'm digging mm-hmm. it up, and I'm unearthing different parts of it. And those parts I unearth, seem to make sense and then they lend they they lead me to to think oh well i wonder what that means you know with this other thing i just unearthed and you know so again but it feels to me as i do it especially writing like i i i know i know that all of the information is snippets and bits from my subconscious like all of the characters i write you know, I have characters that I write that I don't like, and I have characters that I write that I do like. And mm. so I would I would ask myself, well, where do these characters come from? I mean, am I just channeling something? But it's not that. I know it's not. It's like these characters are somehow composed of little snippets and bits and pieces of all the people that I've met over the years that's just all stored away in my head. And as the story comes out, there's this idea, like you said, that I'm kind of chasing. I'm kind of following the breadcrumbs down the trail. And – these characters that come out embody certain different Rubik's Cube combinations of characteristics from various different people I've met over the years, you mm-hmm. know? So it's it's definitely experiential, you know? Yeah. But I'm always surprised. I mean, I go back and read stuff I've written, and I'm like, wow, you know, that's pretty cool. Like, I like this guy, or uh-huh. I, I hate that chick, or whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. and it's, but it doesn't feel like I did it, really, even though I know I did it. So it's a weird thing, and it, it is very intuitive. And drawing, for me, definitely. Like, I don't even... There's no thought that goes into drawing. I don't even show my drawings to people because, like, I just – I draw because I love to draw. I enjoy drawing. And so I just do it. And I try, like you said, to really just try to stay out of my own way and allow it to express mm-hmm. itself however it wants to express itself. And that's all kind of separate from what I would consider to be the other facet of my creative process, which is that I consider everything I do to be ritual art. And when I say ritual art, I simply mean that anything I create is a vessel that contains energy. It's that simple. Hmm. So if I write a book or if I make a drawing or I make a sculpture or I make a film, all of them could be perceived to be a cup, you know, and they're all filled with energy. And that kind of energy that's in them is what they hold and it's what they have to offer. And so, you know, the process is the ritual, you know? So for me, again, like you said, you're very process oriented. I am too. I'm very ritual oriented. It's the same, same concept, different word, but that's Mm -hmm. why I call it ritual art because it's all about the, the, the machinations and processes and things that I had to go to, to do. And the, the synchronicities and the serendipitous events that aligned in ways I could have never fathomed. And, you know, all of that comes together magically to create this thing that is really bigger than you. It's Mm -hmm. it's bigger than anything you ever could have tried to do really. Yeah, I guess that all all art is like that, really, when you think about it. Because if you okay, if you if you put it in the magic um, realm, let's say the you know the process of creating a piece is the ritual, and then the final piece would be an object that has energy that is trying to get a certain result 
and that result is i mean and and i think uh the i think uh in magic they say the the highest form uh what you're really doing is ri- you're doing ritual to change your consciousness right so right right or the consciousness of others right and so that i mean that's what art is you know that's that's the culmination of the spell is to change the consciousness of the viewer mm-hmm. and, and yourself while you're you know in the process right right i mean for instance you know if i make it and i think that's a great that's a great uh, clarification to make because like i make things that i call wards some might call them talismans but basically what i do is is if i feel that there's a threat like on a threshold for instance my door or my window at my house i will sit down and i will just take from all kinds of random stuff I've collected and just intuitively pick things and affix them together in a manner that is totally intuitive. And then I will hang that object near that area. Now, you know, to some degree you might say, well, exoterically I'm creating this, this, this edifice that's going to be there and that it's going to actually ward away other energy. But I would, I would go so far as to say what you, what you said is correct, which is that in order for me to feel that there is no threat in that area and henceforth there be no threat. I have to make a ward in order to convince myself right. that it doesn't exist. <laughs> right, because that's how that's how uh, ma- that's what magic's all about really is the you know yes. the, the, the basic stripped down idea is that you are it's your belief and it's your mental energy that's manifesting physically. So when you concentrate on something to manifest physically, you're putting energy into it. And so, you know, if you can believe something, the more you can believe something, the more real it can, the more, you know, the, the stronger it can manifest for you physically, you know? Right. Well, and, and that's the beauty of art, I think, as in, in regard to this whole idea of vessels and magic and ritual is that, you know, you may create something and, and the vessel that it is to you may be very different than what it is to another person, whether that's someone that sees it in the gallery or that's someone that buys it and puts it in their home, you know, and I've even at points in time made wards for people, which are basically sculptures, Mm -hmm. um, intuitive artistry sculptures where I'm just staying out of my own way and allowing the elements that I've chosen, be it beetle wing bone, you know, wood or seashell to come together in such a way as to embody something. But I, I've even done blank ones which is to say that I've done everything I can to avoid putting any energy of mine into it mm-hmm. in order to make a vessel that's empty for someone else to fill up with their intent. Oh, that's cool. You that's know, cool. so there's a lot of, I mean, there's mm-hmm. innumerable ways to spin it. But again, that all comes back down to art because what I'm doing is no different than what you are doing with paint on your canvas. Right, yeah. You know, another interesting uh, aspect of it, and I know I've talked to you about this, is that to, to me, I'll use painting, but, you know, this goes for any form of art. Um, I'll use painting because that's what I do the most. Although I've been sculpting more lately, so I'm starting to think, you know, I'm not just a painter. I'm a sculptor and a painter. You know, because eventually I'm going to hopefully have as many sculpture pieces as painting pieces, but that's beside the point. Um, you're also a musician. That's true. You're, you're actually a lot of things other than a painter, <laughs> artistically as well. <laughs> and that's me playing the theme song. That was me on GarageBand. Okay, so um, but what the one of the best ways I can use to describe the process of painting or creating, for that matter, but um, I'll I'll go with painting for now, is that it's like a game or a puzzle. It's it's like a puzzle game, actually. That's because you're constantly trying to you you're trying to create this thing that you have this inspiration for you're not sure what it is until you get there and you're arranging pieces around you're moving pieces around you're taking things out you're it's it's so it's basically like doing a crossword puzzle that's how i view it it's you know not more it's nothing more than a game you know but but that's not to say it's not important it's just it's it's that's the fun for me is is figuring is uh, figuring out it's how to the, the painting game or the sculpting game you know it's like because you don't have it 
you have nothing when you start and then you have these raw materials and it's all about how you arrange things and put them together in the proper way and how successful of a piece you can create from it. And that's the game. And when you're done with it, the game's over and you do another game and, and right, right. You know, and the, and the piece that's there is, you know, you can sell and other people can enjoy or show it and, and, uh, you could earn a living or whatever you got to do. But, uh, it's all about playing, you know, it's a game. Well, and you, you know, when you say all that, it, it reminds me obviously of editing. I like to paint monsters and you obviously were very much involved in that, but it's the same process where basically you have, you know, hundreds of hours of footage and you, you have to assemble key, you know, you have to refine down to the key components that are necessary. Mm -hmm. And then you have to arrange those in such a way as to tell this story. And so it's definitely, like you said, it's very much a puzzle because, you know, little clips just switched where one was before the other. And then you switched the one from after before it could just make such a significant difference. And I remember that process. I mean, working on that film and, and what editing, that post-production process was, God, over a year and four months long. So it was like just brutal but also like this incredibly exciting process because you'd nail something. Even if it was only like five seconds, you'd nail it. You'd be like, yes! (laughs) It just feels so good when you get it, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's – that that I I did that the other night. I was thinking about this for the podcast. I did that the other night when I'm working on this – I was working on this little maquette, this little sculpture, and it was – three in the morning or two 30. And I'm like, man, I got to go to bed. And I didn't quite have it. And I finally got it something about the expression. And it was like, Oh, I just got this burst of energy. And then I worked another hour on it, you know, because it was like, yes, this is it. And it's such, such an amazing feeling. It's such a, a total buzz, you know, when you, when you nail it, cause it's hard to do, you know, all that stuff. It's, it's not easy to paint. That's why the game is fun because it's hard to do. And you, you you know, it's that as, as much time as it requires to get good at it and energy, you get that much back when you finally do it, you know? And, and that's why I really love painting because it's so, it's so difficult that you can spend your whole life getting better at it, I think, or any, you know, any creative art like that. I think it's, there's always, always room for going further with it especially when you're part of the um the ideas that you're you're expressing parts of yourself that you that aren't fully conscious you know that really makes it even uh, a deeper game that can go on for longer you know so it's that's to me it's like getting paid to play a video game or whatever you love to do whatever game riding a bike or marathoning or you know what i mean whatever you love to do it's that's the way i view it it's it's like it's it's so much fun. I love it. Yeah. Well, if you had, you know, if you could give advice to any, you know, relatively new artist, you know, for whatever reason they're new, it doesn't matter what age they are, but someone who's just really getting into it and they like it and they enjoy it, but they're just starting to figure out artistic process, you know, from your perspective, what would be the advice you would give to that neophyte, uh, you know, concerning artistic process? Well, I would say let's that's a good question. Um you know, knowing what you like is is knowing and identifying what you like and being in touch with that is really important. Um uh, you know, you have to kind of you have to have something to say for one thing, you know. Um so you know, it's the good. voice. Voice is important. Right, right. Finding your voice is, you know, the, the, the way I see it, it's being a successful artist is knowing your shit technically and having your own voice. Those are the two things that are required, I believe. And when you say knowing your shit, you mean basically practicing and studying and practicing and studying and practicing and yeah. studying, right? Yeah, exactly. All the stuff you don't want to do, you know, especially when you're a younger artist starting out. It's how I was as well. You don't want to do life drawing and perspective and color mixing and stuff like that. But, yeah, there's that whole technical process of it. And and I think that's why I was able to um, – become good at painting because I do have a very, there's a part of me that loves to learn how to make things and how things work, you know, dissecting things and taking things apart and figuring out why they work. I've always been curious like that. And so, um, 
when I get into anything, I get really into it, you know? So there's that aspect of it, but the, the, the voice part is the more nebulous aspect of it. You know, that's where it gets a little trickier. <laughs> hear my dog snoring. Yeah. I can quiet, hear quiet, him snoring. Quiet, it's so for, funny. Quiet for a second. <laughs> that's doc. <laughs> Doc's always hanging out with us on our podcast. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think that's the trickiest part is finding your well, voice. Well, and voice changes too. You know, that's yeah, the thing is sure. that it's like, you know, uh, your your technical skill, your knowledge, that only changes if you push yourself to evolve right. in that. But voice just changes automatically on its own, yeah, you yeah. know, day well, in and day out, let alone year in and year out, you know. If you're really expressing yourself through your artwork honestly, then, you know, your artwork is going to develop as your you develop as a person, you know, as your beliefs change yes. and, and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I would say, you know, getting to know yourself is, is a really big part of finding your voice, knowing who you are, you know, if you don't know who you are, then how can you have a voice, you know? Um, but well, then, you know, the best place to start with trying to find out who you are really is admitting that you don't really know who you are. Yeah, for sure. Because there are layers, you know, to each of us, I think that as we get older, there are more and more layers revealed. And we're like, wow, you know, I thought I knew who I was, but dot, dot, dot. And since that is kind of a perennial process and seemingly part of the human experience, you know, I would go so far as to make that caveat. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. And the older you get, for sure, you, you realize it, that you're changing all the time. And, you know, core values may remain the same, but there's a lot of other aspects of yourself that are developing and changing. So yeah, I would say, um, get to know yourself and really think, okay, what do I love? What do I like? What do I like in other people's work? You know, what about their work do I like? You know, why do I like this? Why do I like that? And, um, you know, on a, I guess on a more simpler level too, it's, it's, uh, for, I'll just say for me, it was like, I, you know, when I first got out of the film industry um, and I started painting, I really I, – I think I told you this before too. I, I, I remember sitting down when I was like, okay, I'm going to be a painter. I made the decision to do it. I did a little painting and um, to prove to myself I could do it. And then once I was like, okay, I, can, I know I can do this. I've done this little acrylic painting. Um, I remember sitting down in front of a blank canvas and just being – nothing was there. I was like, Oh no, this is, this is scary because I've been so used to having some sort of starting point when I was working in the film industry In the film industry, it's like, they tell you, you know, this creature is, we know we want it to be green. We know we want it to look kind of like, you know, a whatever, a swamp monster and we want it to have big teeth and eyes so it's like you have parameters to work within and that's always easier to have when you have some starting point but when you're creating your own work you've got and you original work that that's based on who you are you kind of have you know nowhere to start from it could because it could be anything the possibilities are so endless so i was just kind of yeah that's my problem too man too many ideas not enough time (laughs) yeah right and that's another thing is choosing which direction you want to go like once, once I started, so I, I got pat, I, you know, I got scared and I couldn't, I was just, you know, my mind was blank and I eventually kind of hung with it and I just started painting, you know, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do and I just started painting and my first paintings were not really like what I do now, but they were steering towards dark kind of stuff. They were sort of more like Cam DeLeon type work. If you don't know Cam's stuff, he's the original tool artist who's really uh, uh, artistically, he's a true genius. And um, uh, so it was maybe a little more abstract and stuff. And I eventually kind of came upon the the portrait, the monster portrait thing. And, And so when I did that, and I saw that it was getting a good response, you know, I could have done, I could have gone with the monster portraits i could have done more abstract i could have done full figures i could have done people fighting or whatever i could have done all kinds of different things but i thought you know what i'm going to focus on this because i really enjoy it and other people are enjoying it 
So yeah, yeah, out of yeah, all the, makes sense. there's a bunch of different ways you can go. I'm going to focus on this and that's important. You know, I, I, especially younger artists want to do, or at least, you know, going by my experience, you want to do everything, you know, right. Right. You want to have a huge range of styles, but, um, it's really better from a, a career standpoint, not only from a career standpoint, but really to really get to be a to to master a subject or a certain type of art. It really takes a lot of focus, you know. So I would, you know, I would suggest choosing finding finding the things you really like um, in your own work. And then focusing on the things that you like, and also um, uh, seeing who you're ripping off too, because that's another thing. I mean, I had a I had an issue with Bekshinsky when I was starting. I was like, I had to really go. I'd do a, a painting. And I'm like, this reminds me of something, and I'd go and I'd look. And it's like, oh, that's like kind of like Bekshinsky, which I'm still very Bekshinsky influenced. But there's a difference between, you know being influenced and having your own voice and, you know, standing on their shoulders instead of, uh, you know, jumping in front of them in the line and <laughs> copying their shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, uh, I, I think that's important too, is to look at your work, analyze it and think, what do I like about, what am I doing that I like? You know, is it how I render? Is it, my characters is this or that and then anything that's too derivative of your influences toss those things and go okay if because i i do that now you know i'm always checking to make sure i'm not ripping somebody off because it's important to me to, to be original so yeah. if i see something that is too much like this artist or that artist i'll definitely go okay that's that's not up for grabs like uh an example is michael husser's water droplets which any Husser fans who hear this will know what I'm talking about. He kind of owns the water droplets thing. He paints, <laughs> you know, and, and I don't even know if he's doing that anymore, but, but way back when he was doing, he'd paint these little water drop, you know, beads of water on people's faces and s stuff. And, um, you know, or the striped horns he has, he has like stripe or stripes or stars. He's got these, you know, these certain elements that are, are him. And it's like, you know, he, they're not the, you know, totally these unique things that have never been done, yeah, but they're, they're not like his intellectual property rights, but it's right. definitely part of his voice and style for sure. Right. And regardless of, you know, even if maybe that's your inner thing too, you know what? He got there first. So <laughs> that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. If you get there first, you get the credit for it. And, you know, I just, I just don't think you should, step on another artist's toes like that. So, you know, if you're, if you're too derivative, you should toss what's derivative, figure out what's derivative and then don't and think, okay, how am I going to not do this? How am I going to well, keep this out of the too. next painting? And then that, that, but lo, let me finish real quick. You know, if you're, if you're, if you know what you like and you're aware of your influences and, and you, and you get rid of them, don't focus on them. Focus on the things that you know that you like that you're doing that are original. And it might just be one little element of a painting. Focus on that original element and develop it further and just keep going and do the carrot on the stick thing like we were talking. You know, you follow that thing. Trust it and follow that one thing. So Yeah, I was just gonna say that there's more than just that, you know, the the only reason to not do that is not just because you know, it's ripping someone else off. It's because you owe it to yourself to do better. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's something. There's so much more gratification in working long and hard and achieving something, and really getting the full payback for what you've done than working short and sweet and only getting a quarter of it. You know, so do it for yourself. You know. Oh really. yeah, for sure. Yeah, because that's what we're. You know, we. I think we all agree that it's about expressing your individuality so you know that's that's the reward when you can express your individuality in a way that you feel good about and other people can appreciate then that's the reward right there and if you know if you're not expressing yourself you're expressing someone else's idea it's not you know it's not going to be it's not going to be the best for you 
as well. Well, and you're not, you, and 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 our job is really to bring something new into the world. And if right. you're, you know, if you're just regurgitating stuff, then that's vomit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, really, that's the definition. We don't need you know, more I think vomit in the world. Yeah, exactly. I think it's important to also recognize, you know, uh, uh, flexibility and awareness. Because, for instance, I'll give you an example. You know, it's easy once you have been doing something for a long time and you feel like you know how to do it and you've kind of got it down pat, you know, to become solid like an oak tree and really not move much. But really, the idea would be more to be flexible in the wind like bamboo. And when I say that, I mean simply that there's always more to learn. And the minute that you think you have it figured out, you have that sensation of clarity. Mm-hmm. You're really trapped by that. You know, that's not going to do you any favors. Furthermore, having awareness to see opportunities that are coming your way that may take you far out of the range of where you had prospectively thought you were going. So for instance, when I met you, I, I was pitching a book to you that I've been writing for however many years. I had all these other novels I've written in screenplays. And what did I do? I saw an opportunity to team up with you and make a, a documentary about you. And so I just dropped all that stuff. Now, is it gone? No. Am I still working on it? Yes. But there was this opportunity. My intuition said, this thing right here, right now in front of you is the thing. Mm-hmm. Do it. You know, it right. doesn't matter what else you're working on. And if you get that feeling, you, you know, you should follow it. But the important thing is to have a clear enough path to your intuition to even be aware that that thing is presenting itself to you. Yeah, absolutely. That That's important to be you – know, a lot of creating art is about – feeling you know it's about having feelings and feeling your feelings and so that's you know that that that's intuition you know that and being able to recognize intuition versus fear or ego or whatever you know it's more like this deep little voice in your head and that's well, and I think the more energy you store, the more access you have to your intuition. And when I say energy for me, that's just a way of talking about it. But what I what I really mean is if you are eating well, if you're exercising, if you're getting time with your loved ones, if you're enjoying animals, if you are enjoying recreation and you're also creating, you're going to have a clearer path to your intuition than if you're missing four of those things. Right. Yeah. And if your mind's a chaotic mess, it's, I think it's hard to tap into that as well if your mind is in chaos all the time which is a uh, uh, how meditation helps with that as well as you know not not being an asshole not having that monkey on your back of being deceitful and lying to people all the time and just having you know dumb issues creeping in and uh getting wrapped up in in this whole sense of competition in your mind of like oh man am i as as good as this other person it's like because none of that even matters it's just getting away or any kind of drama that's unnecessary unnecessary drama you know it's speaking of speaking of meditation meditation is part of your creative process is it not uh well i you know i i i i have to be honest for the last couple months i haven't been meditating at all but um i go through these phases where i get out of it you know how it is get out of it and get back into it i mean i know how to meditate and i was doing it for a long time uh, a long stretch the last stretch i did was like a year where i was doing it pretty much every day and uh it's helpful to me but it's weird because the the painting is almost like the meditation to me in a way not that i don't think that it necessarily replaces meditation but you know what happens is I get so busy that I get up and I don't even give myself time to meditate because I need to start working so um uh, for me the writing process is meditation too so I don't think that you, I don't think there's anything wrong with you saying that I think that your painting process absolutely can be meditation I know that my writing process is right. meditation I have no doubt about it well it's like you know, when you're painting, you have a certain clarity, especially when you're in a groove and you're going and, you know, you, when you lose track of time, that is very much a meditative state. But tr- I think true meditation really is where your mind has no thoughts. That's the the goal where it's clarity and it's almost like you're exercising this muscle to not be so chaotic, not have so much craziness in your mind 
thoughts bouncing around. So when you meditate, it's just basically exercising your mind's ability to clear itself so that, yeah, you know, quietude, right, right. silence. So that that and the idea, I think, is that that translates into the, the rest of your conscious life when you're not meditating and it makes other things easier. So but I do I get that sense in painting. And um, so I kind of agree with agree with you on that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, I mean, it's just I think it's it's again part of our our processes that we have evolved in, and just as our culture has evolved to have certain perceptions around things. So when you think of meditation, almost right. everyone's going to have an image in their head right away. It's probably someone sitting in, you know, a, a cross-legged position, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's like all of the cliche hallmark things are going to pop into most people's minds right. when you say that of some sort, whatever variety they've been exposed to. And so I think part of our job is to you know, step back and kind of look at that and say, okay, well, just because that's historically what we've thought of as meditation doesn't mean that there are not a whole lot of other meditative practices that we engage right. in, whether that's we're true. aware of it or not. Yeah. Exercise is like meditation, hiking and sex. Yeah. And it's like anytime your mind is completely focused on one thing without a bunch of other stuff jumbling around, I guess that's a form of meditation really. Yeah, because you know, when you're meditating, the you know the ba the most basic meditation is where you're just focusing on your breath. You mm -hmm. know that you're you're giving your mind something to focus on, so that it's not thinking about a million things. So you're just you know breathing in and breathing out, and you're just concentrating on that. So yeah. in a sense, yeah. you know, if you're really in the groove and writing or painting, your mind is singularly focused on this thing, which is not much different than being focused on your breath. So I guess you're totally well. Right. And I and furthermore, I mean, I would even go so far as to say like with filmmaking, I remember, you know, working on I Like to Paint Monsters, when I would have to roll up to do a shoot by myself, I roll in with all this equipment and I got to get that stuff set up. I got to get it all, all right. dialed in. I got to get that person set up. Then I got to sit down and carry out an interview with them. Wow, I'm running all of the equipment and making sure all <laughs> the, you know, all you the levels a, are right. I have an assistant with that. Yeah, that and then get done. And then, you know, you got to tear it all down, pack it all up, get it in the car and go to another spot. So. Mm -hmm. So there was even a meditative process for me in that where like I'd get done with an interview and I'd like get in the car and be like, I don't even remember what just happened. Right. Like I don't – it's like it never even occurred. And then I would listen you know, I'd run the dailies at the end of the day and I'd be like, wow, you know, like I was on. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's just funny because you get into like you said, that groove. Yeah, yeah. And it's meditative. Yeah. It's all about the groove. That's the goal is to hit the groove. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> I, I I've missed two episodes of getting you with my uh, and 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 to explain to other people that are just turning on I, the podcast. This is all Chet's fault. I just want to let you all know that it's all Chet's fault. It's a stupid joke that has gone out of control. It's out gone, of control. It's gone viral. It has. We won't even we won't yeah, even I'm explain even... it to you. You have to go back and listen to the introductions episode <laughs> if you really care that much. <laughs> We've created a monster. Well, do you want to put a pin in it there today? Yeah, yeah, I've got to get back. No, you've got a, yeah, you got a lot to do stuff. And I think we covered a lot of uh, ideas of about the creative process. Yeah, every time we get done with one of these, I always think to myself, I and I think we've almost say it every time. Oh, this is going to need a part two. Yeah, <laughs> there will be many part twos. You know, I, I'm sure there's going to be a point where we're, we're like, okay, what do we? What do we talk about now? Okay, let's you know further revisit the out of body experience right. section or whatever, you know, because uh, you know a year's worth of these it's going to be tough. Keep coming with coming up with ideas. I think I don't know. I, maybe don't, not. Oh, I don't think so. Yeah, it's not like we ever get. It's not Bored like we're talking to each other. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it, we've our, what we have has been deemed on my end of things from uh, my significant other, the bromance. So it's sad but true. <laughs> yeah, my wife always makes fun of. Who are you talking to? Oh, Mike. She just rolls her eyes. <laughs> She's all. He's fine by himself, and Chet's fine by himself. But those two together, <laughs> it's them G together. Giggling like schoolgirls is what Lisa says. I just hear this giggling like schoolgirls. <laughs> she doesn't hear my end of it, though, so she just imagines me yeah. giggling like a schoolgirl with you. <laughs> I wonder what I sound like in her mind giggling. Yeah. <laughs> schoolgirl-esque. <laughs> <laughs>
All well, right. This, is, this has been fun. Thank you yes. guys for c- tuning in and listening to this and for sharing us and rating and reviewing us and, and all that good to stuff. Share, please. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You can also share I Like to Paint Monsters, the documentary that I directed and produced about Chet. You can pick that up at chetzar.bigcartel.com. Yeah, and I want to say something about the documentary. I don't know if we mentioned this before, but uh, we we do have a distributor. Did we talk about this distribution before? About our distribution? Yeah, maybe we did. I don't, we I don't think so. Well, we I mean, we, we got a uh, proper di- distributor, uh, First Run Features, and they you know printed them out, and they did an initial run of – distribution getting it on amazon and uh itunes iTunes. but the you know there's not a lot of support at this point so you know that i think the way that distributors work especially maybe indie distributors they uh you know if if they see if it makes if it starts making money then they put money behind it to promote it more and yeah. I, don't, I don't think we've made enough money for them to put more money behind <laughs> it to promote it more. So at this point, you know, we've got these DVDs. Everybody loves the movie. I mean, every, I haven't heard one bad review out of anybody know, who's seen it. People I'd see- like to just because I, I'd like to know that, you know, because if, if all you hear is good stuff, you start to think like, huh. Yeah. <laughs> I, now I'm not like, yeah, I'm getting suspicious now, you know. <laughs> but nevertheless, yeah, it's all been positive feedback. Sorry, yeah. go ahead, Chad. So, yeah, and so I was just going to say, you know, as, as part of a grassroots effort, if you can – shit you know if if you have someone you know that wants to see it or you think might enjoy it and they can't afford it loan them your copy or yeah, yeah, know, totally. spread the word because this is not a money-making venture for us oh. at all it, it's not it, it was a money spending venture yeah, we're never going to make money from this documentary you do not make money from money from documentaries unless you're michael nope. moore or something so um it's just about getting the the message out so uh of yeah, and I think that also, you know, it's important to say that the message that we're that this whole dark art society is founded on, that we're working on, is rooted in the theme in the documentary because we discovered you discovered ultimately this idea of the dark art society while we were making the film, and so it's right. embodied in the film itself. So you know, it, it's a way almost it's almost like a, a DVD liaison. You can help people understand, turn them on. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a. Sorry, a way, to you. Oh no, it's a way of. Uh... I don't know, an induction DVD <laughs> to the, the, the dark art way of seeing things. It's very pro-dark art. So anyway, I just wanted to say, you know, uh, 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 my intentions are pure here when I say please share the documentary because it's really about the message getting out there. And um, it would be very helpful if, if you guys can help do that and help spread the message and help other dark artists out there well and even you know even something as simple as honestly i like to paint monsters.com and the name of the documentary is i like to paint monsters i like to paint monsters.com is the web page there's a blog there there's videos there there's about tabs there's information about the kickstarters there's tons of information there so even just sharing something like that even if you don't buy the documentary or even if you don't want to buy it for someone else or anything just you know check out i like to paint monsters.com share that and you know the more the word spreads we're kind of looking for that hundredth monkey effect here right so and uh, you know, show it to your parents. If your parents I, don't understand your weird art, you know it'll be. Yes, a, it helped my parents figure it out finally. I had to make a. I had to make a film about you for my parents to understand me. <laughs> That's a good one. It's right. a potential. That's my Facebook post right there. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's a potential teachable moment there. So, anyway, also if you if you uh, want to support the podcast, you can go to chetzar.bigcartel and buy something you know i've got stuff that prints as low as 20 bucks and that will help us keep this going and um anything else you want to say mike uh just gonna put out the url for this guys our mm-hmm. primary host is soundcloud.com forward slash dark art society and you guys have been listening to the dark art society podcast thank you guys again for tuning in we appreciate it so long see you next time later guys